Why does abdominal pain make us want to hunch over? Why can you restrict food and avoid food sensitivities and still get bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, or acid reflux? Have you ever jammed your fist into your belly, feeling like there was something wrong deep inside? You just didn't know what? If so, today's episode is for you. On today's episode, we are getting into a topic that I'm very passionate about and that doesn't get talked about much in the gut health world, fascia. Yep, fascia. If you have never heard of it, no worries. I'm going to be explaining what it is and why you want to care about it. And if you have heard of it, you may be thinking, Allison, doesn't fascia have to do with muscles and pain and stuff? What does it have to do with the gut? Oh, so much, my friend. Glad you asked. Fascia is at the root of what I study as a visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy practitioner, and it's been the key to many of my clients making a 180 turn from their acid reflux, constipation, bloating, and more. If you are ready to get to the root of your gut health problems, today's episode is for you. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. All right, guys. So we are going to be talking today about fascia. And just as a heads up, this episode is actually going to be the precursor or the foundation to many other episodes that are going to be coming up. I have talked on this podcast before about visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy and how they are so integral. And I you really see them as a missing link in many of my clients' gut health journeys and really re- completely resolving everything from pain to constipation, acid reflux. I, I'm going to really get into some some even real client stories this episode, but but this podcast episode and 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 the ones that are going to come after it is to set the tone and and do some education on why our physical tissue in our body matters so much for gut health. I feel like I've been trying to get this across for a while now and people I every time whether it's just a client I'm talking with or somebody, another health practitioner, people's minds are constantly blown or just fascinated or intrigued because it's just not something, it's not a paradigm that we really have um, being brought into our minds when we're thinking, oh, I have a gut health problem. If we think gut health, the first thing we think of might be nutrition and food restrictions and food sensitivities and I don't know how much I'm chewing food and all these different things. And then another thing we talk about on the podcast, though, is is how we need to be considering pathogens and toxins and liver burden and all these different things going on that, that actually make food sensitivities worse, that food is not the enemy. But on top of that, there is a physical element, like physical in your body tissue uh, element that can be massively impacting whether or not you're getting results in your gut health and, and finding relief from your symptoms, really. 
So without further ado, let's talk about what fascia is. I'm, what What is it? So I want you to think of your body. You've got your muscles and your bones. Those get Both of those structures get a lot of, of, of talk. So if you're having a problem in your body, especially like pain or weakness, like muscles and bones is what people are going to be talking about. X-rays, chiropractors, PTs, you know, maybe getting a... Um, a I'm thinking like an exercise science scientist or <laughs> getting a personal trainer, things like that. We're thinking, oh, muscles and bones are the source of pain and stiffness. And that's actually not true the, because we have experts, people who study fascia really believe that there's more fascia in the body than any other type of tissue. So tissue being muscles, a type of tissue, bone is a type of tissue, um, we have a variety, you know, an eyeball or an organ that we have. Those are types of tissue. But fascia is something we called, it fits under the category of connective tissue. And it has a couple things, a couple key components that make it fascia and not bone or muscle or something else. So fascia also, as I'm describing this, I want to encourage you guys to think about if you're like, what the heck does it look like, right? You might have an idea of what muscle looks like or what... Uh, skin looks like or bones, right? What does fascia look like? I really like the image of a pantyhose, right? So pantyhose is this like thinly woven, um, intermeshing fabric material that is is both stretchy and tough. It's pliable, but only to a certain point. And fascia honestly operates in a very similar way. There are different types of fascia, which we'll get into a little bit today, not super in depth. This is, um, I'm going to be, I'm aiming to share with you guys the most important helpful stuff for gut health related, related um, fascial, fascial information. But um, if you're just trying to even get an idea and grasp like what, what, it, what, why is this tissue so different? Why does it behave the way it does? And why is that relevant to the gut? I want you to imagine pantyhose. <laughs> and so these pantyhose of the fascia, it's made up of three main components. One is collagen, which you've prob probably heard of before. One is elastin. And another is ground substance. So collagen, as a reminder, is a really tough material. Like our hair is made out of collagen, our nail is made out, nails are made out of collagen, our bones have collagen in them. Um, really rich sources of collagen might be like bone broth, right? So uh, these are collagen dense uh, substances or tissues, and that's part of what makes nails hard and hair tough and bones tough, right? So. Uh, fascia inherently has a little bit of collagen in it, which gives it that toughness. To so there is some resistance to it. It's not just completely loosey-goosey or like a rubber band or something. It, it, has, it has some form to it. And some uh, fascia is going to have more collagen in it than others. It depends on its function or its where it is in the body. But then we're also going to have elastin in it. And if elastin sounds to you like the word elastic, that's great because it has a similar form and function of something that is elastic. So it can stretch kind of like a rubber band. It can, it's malleable, which is really great because fascia needs to do that. And we'll discuss a little bit more why in a bit. And then lastly, the third substance in it is called ground substance. Ground substance is a liquid, well, it, it actually goes through two different states called gel and soul. Gel form, it's actually kind of like a thick, uh, you could think like pudding, right? And it's when maybe the area, it literally changes state when you are cool or not moving versus when you are warmer and moving. So it'll go from a gel state, which is like thick pudding to a soul state, which is once you've warmed up, maybe you're in a sauna or you have just gone on a run or you've been moving a little bit, right? It'll go into a more liquid state. Uh, and that soul. And, and all of that kind of creates this, the, the comprehensiveness of the tissue. If you did take ground substance out of collagen, you would be left with just this network. Like when we take when we've actually done uh, microscopic viewing of fascia, it can really look like this 
cool overlaying of all these fibers going in different directions. Again, like a shirt, like pantyhose, sometimes it can, I mean, it's typically considered a, uh, non-formed or a irregular substance. So it, it doesn't, it can literally lay itself down in any, any way or any direction. Like a bone has a very particular place it's trying to go depending on the bone. Does it have a curve? Does it have a knob on it? Like an elbow has a very intentional or very different intention to it when, when its cells are creating it compared to your femur. But then fascia is this disorganized tissue, and it can lay down all these fibers of either collagen or elastin, and then it fills it in with ground substance, as well as some other um, tissues, which we're going to discuss in a bit, which really make it important to gut health. But those are the components of this connective tissue. Fascia, where can it be found in the body? Uh, I already said that the fascia experts really believe that there's probably more fascia in the body than any other tissue. It's a little hard to measure or contemplate because, you know, if you, you can pick up a bone and it has a beginning and an end, it has a weight, <laughs> it has a mass, but fascia is around bones, it's around muscles, it's in muscles. It connects muscles to bone. It connects muscles to skin. It uh, is in our ears. It's around our eyes. It's around our organs. So like our liver and our stomach, it's around the pelvic bowl. Uh, it, it, it's, it's everywhere, right? And then there's different layers of it. And so um, that fascia is everywhere. It's in our heads. It's on top of our heads. It's inside of our skulls. It's outside of our skulls. It's, it's, pretty much everywhere. It's really, really fascinating. And so you can imagine for a tissue and a substance that's everywhere, it can cause problems also everywhere. So when someone says that they study fascia, they work with fascia, they're a body worker that helps fascia um, decrease restrictions in it, they can help a lot of different parts of the body. Um, and then they might have extra special training in certain areas of the body, which I would say I do as a visceral manipulation practitioner and craniosacral therapist. Um, before we move on to the gut part of things real quick, what is the purpose of fascia? So let's keep in mind as before I get into the specific purposes, I love thinking of fascia in contrast to structures we already think a lot about. Uh, so if you start with bones, what, what's the function of a bone? Well, one is to give structure to our body. So just like a a building might need a skeleton of a structure so that you can fit all the drywall in and all the electrical lines and all the plumbing. Um, our body also needs to have a structure to fit things in and onto. And that's our bones. So bones are very much structural. They're also protective, especially when you think about the rib cage and its job and function or the pelvis. Um, but mainly skeleton is is to honestly for other things to have attachments to it like our muscles so that we can have a point of action or a lever that we can that the when a muscle fires it actually has something to lift and drop um it it ha a it enables us to be mobile, but only in as much as the muscle enables us to be mobile. Because again, bones on their own are just, you know, they just crumple on the floor. So bones need a lot of other extra support to really do their full function. And they're really a, in some ways you could consider it a, a small piece, important, but maybe small piece um, of, of the whole experience of having a body. Um, and, I, and I say that because I'm a little bitter <laughs> on how much focus bones get where we've, you know, we study, oh, is it a fracture? Is it, you know, what's going on here? And how little we emphasize fascia because fascia has a lot more to do with function and mobility often, even more so than bones. Um, but fascia, uh, so bones have those, that type of function. Muscles have the function of mobility, heat, keeping you warm, um, being able to feed yourself, do things in your environment. You're not a tree, right? You're not stuck in one spot. So you're able to move forward and backwards and get something from the fridge or make a garden or just like engage with your world. That's, that's a huge function of muscles. So is, is actually mobility. And then also again, warmth, metabolism, things like that. 
Um, but then fascia has a lot of roles, right? So one of them is actually to keep us standing. And this has to do with a word, if you want to look this up, called tensegrity, T-E-N-S-R, excuse me, T-E-N-S-E-G-R-I-T, tensegrity. And if you've never heard this before, it's a really cool concept in physics. Basically, I want you to think about how like if you own a cat or a dog, like their shape of having four four legs on the ground, they're shaped like a chair, right? And a chair can just sit there all day long. It doesn't need anything else on it to keep it upright, right? Just the chair and its form and function and structure. But if you put a pole up, now humans are most like a pole, right? <laughs> like something just standing in the air. That seems like a great idea. If you were to just put a pole on itself, it's not going to stand up very easily. At most, we have these like little feet that like give us like a little bit of something. But even if you have a pole and then some like minuscule base, something that's just a couple inches or a foot or whatever at the base of the pole, that pole is going to fall over real easy. And so one of the things that helps keep us standing isn't just like, you don't have to, con like actually standing is not the hardest thing that we do. Moving is the hardest thing we do as far as muscle activity, right? But to be standing, one of the ways we can stand and have fairly relaxed muscles, decently relaxed muscles, is because of fascia. And so fascia creates this tension in the body from the heels of the body to the head that is creates this, uh, it's, it's, and I'm not a physics person, so I don't explain it the best, but it, it's basically this pressure system that, that when gravity acts on it and when we give a little bit of upward force with our muscles, we end up creating this stacking uh, event, the stacking ability from our heels to our head. So just look it up if you want to learn more about the science behind it. Um, some architects have used tensegrity in their in their own like structures and buildings. Um, and it's and it's been but it's not like a common way that we build. We're much more likely to build the way cats and dogs are and the way chairs are, like on these stable things, because it's so complicated to keep a bean pole standing up. You either have to like root it in the ground like a tree or like a telephone pole, or you have to give it all this fascia and muscles and, and feedback systems and stuff to keep it standing. So it's amazing that humans can stand at all. And part of that is because of fascia. So number two, high, it's fascia is a highway for nerves, arteries, and veins. It basically keeps everything in its place. And so if you have this pantyhose structure, if the pantyhose is actually being punctured by veins, arteries, and nerve systems, uh, kind of keeping it in their lane. And then also fascia will, will actually bundle those units. So it'll cover the veins, arteries, and nerves. It'll keep them in the right spot compared to muscles or compared to bones. And fascia is a huge reason that even though we have people of all different heights and shapes and sizes and gender and ages, we can expect the same anatomy, like a stomach or a certain artery to be in the same spot. You know, when people talk about don't press there, that's where the carotid artery is. Fascia is part of the reason that carotid artery stays where it's at, um, which is just fascinating. And so uh, ideally, our fascia gently holds all of these structures. Um, it might hold it a little bit more firmly in certain areas, like our thoracolumbar fascia, if you've ever heard of that, um, where there's like more, it, the, the fascia is thicker, it has more collagen in it, right? Um, but then we, a lot of our body has very flexible fascia. And that's partly why if you have a, a, for example, a vein on the outside of your body and you're kind of playing with it, it moves a little bit, right? So there's some flexibility. Um, and that's part of this gently being held by fascia. And you can see how, and you can imagine how fascia is going to create a problem if it becomes less flexible when it should be more flexible. You could have a you could end up having compressed arteries, compressed veins, compressed nerves that impact nerve signaling to, for example, the gut, blood flow, for example, to or from the gut. <laughs> and this is me being biased towards the gut 
because that's what we're here for, right? We have gut problems. Um, but you can see why fascia then, if you do all these nice things for the gut, you take probiotics, you avoid food sensitivities, you do breathing exercises, you maybe address pathogens even. If there's a fascial restriction, you're still going to have symptoms likely. And just a really big example of just like one of the most common fascial restrictions I see that will create ongoing bloating and GI problems for my clients is in something called the mesenteric root. And mesenteric root, it's in the abdomen. It's attached to the back wall of your abdomen close to the spine. And it is, I want you to imagine like a sandwich. If you put your fingers together as if you were going to eat a sandwich, but there is no sandwich between it, right? So you're, you have your top fingers together. That is one wall of a piece of fascia of the mesenteric root. Um, and it attaches to your small intestine. It helps keep your small intestine basically anchored to the back of your body. And that's where your small intestine gets anchored in because otherwise they're just a bunch of loops kind of floating around. And then your thumbs create the other part of the wall. And then between, so that sandwich that you're making, I'm making it right now, guys, so I hope you're enjoying this and <laughs> that you're making one too. But uh, the, in, the, the, the middle of that sandwich right? So the fascia is on the, there's a top layer called the, the uh, or one layer called the superior leaf, another layer called the inferior leaf of the, of the mesenteric root. And between it is blood, lots of blood. So arteries and veins and your lymphatic system. And this is how we get nutrients to and from the small intestines. Remember again, small intestines are massively involved in absorbing our nutrients um, for whether that's calories, fat, uh, calories, excuse me, carbs, fat, proteins, but also micronutrients, lots of minerals and vitamins being absorbed through the small intestines. We make a big deal about leaky gut being in the small intestines. And if you have leaky gut, things being absorbed into the bloodstream that shouldn't, right? Well, that's all going through the mesenteric root, this sandwich where you're holding right now. And that blood flow, if that mesenteric root gets um, either in irritated, inflamed, or um, damaged even through other life events, which we're going to talk about what harms fascia in a bit. But if that if that fascia becomes less flexible, more stiff, uh, constricted, there's poor blood flow to and from that area, and also lymphatic flow. Remember that then you're going to have bloating because basically you have this big traffic jam of blood and lymph because the mesenteric root is now um, not as, as, as flexible and mobile as it should be. So that's a big example of how, how fascia it acts as a highway for nerves, arteries, and veins, and why it is such a huge, it's of huge importance that if you are having unresolved GI problems to get yourself evaluated, um, I would recommend by a visceral manipulation practitioner, also someone who can do craniosacral therapy to make sure that your fascial systems are working for you and not against you. Um, number three, fascia acts as a container for organs, muscles, bones, and kind of regions of the body. It, it acts like boundary lines. And so I pulled up a book of mine. If you're super nerdy like me and you wanted to know where am I getting some of this information, um, there's a great book called The Fasciae, or it's you could just say Fascia, The Fascia by Sergei Pauletti. Um, it's a great book, very nerdy. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you wanted to even just see what I'm referring to, but he recommends, and he's a fascia expert, uh, he says that fascia can be organized in layers, kind of from the most external layer to the most internal layer. So you have a superficial fascia, which starts at your cheekbones and ends at your ankles and at your wrists. So that's almost like a bodysuit, right? So this is like a very, very, a layer that's the most outward. Well, then you have another layer that's 
uh, another layer <laughs> like inwards from these cheekbones to wrists and ankles fascia called your external fascia. This is fascia around your muscles and your limbs. That's me kind of doing shorthand for everything he has in his book. Um, internal fascia, which is fascia connecting the neck, the thorax, which is your rib cage, your abdomen and your pelvis. So it's more of just like Instead of your limbs, we're thinking um, your trunk of your body, including your neck. Um, and it's really interesting that the neck gets thrown in there because a lot of my clients who have GI problems also have a lot of neck and shoulder pain. And there is a reason for that, which I get into a little bit on my podcast uh, episode 46, the gut breath connection. That is a pretty much almost straight up talking about uh, fascia. Most of that podcast episode, even though I don't teach 100% on what fascia is, it's not a fascia episode. It's a gut breath connection episode. So if you have like breathing problems or asthma or bloating or constipation, heart palpitations, um, acid reflux, how do those all, how are those actually all connected? And it's at, through fascia as a, now now I'm like blowing the cover of that episode, but if you want to learn more about it um, and what you can do about it, I would highly recommend checking out episode 46. But that's our internal fascia, so superficial fascia, external fascia, internal fascia. Then you have the fascia, another layer inside, and I'm just telling you guys this so you have an idea of how many layers there are. It's like 27 layer cake. I mean, it's just layer after layer after layer. Um, you have now fascia of what he calls the central axis. Um, and this is even deeper fascia, or like it deep inside our mouth and the back of our throat and actually goes these pieces of fascia, which I'm tempted to say, I don't want to freak anyone else, but we have the pterygo temporal maxillary fascia. We have the palatine aponeurosis. We have the pharyngobasilar fascia. And then this all connects to your pericardium, which you might hear that heart word in there, cardium. Pericardium is the fascia around the heart. So that all connects like through the neck, throat, up into the head and down into the heart. Really, really important Um kind of avenue or corridor for fascia. Um, and I see problems here all the time. And you'll sometimes the symptoms are in the heart, sometimes the symptoms are in the neck, or sometimes the symptoms are in the head, like chronic sinusitis or headaches or ears that can never get unclogged or just like difficulty swallowing things. It can show up as so many things, but it's all fascia or it can often be fascial related. Then he literally lists diaphragm as its, its own fascial component. And I'm just going to read what he, what he has in his book on page 83. The diaphragm represents a continuation between the fascia at the base of the skull, the neck, the thorax, which is the rib cage, and the abdomen. It is the relay point of all these pieces of fascia, and it's a shock absorber of the body. Diaphragm is super important. And so when we talk about, oh, like do deep breathing, yes, breathing is great and important and really valuable and powerful for gut health. But many of my clients, and and I'd say uh, probably many people who hear this really great advice to like do breathing techniques can't breathe because of fascial restrictions. And so you can actually irritate the system. You can end up hyperventilating. You can end up um, actually causing more of a feeling of tension in the body. If you try to breathe into places where there's a restriction, you really want to be able to release the restriction. And again, the best way I know how people do can do that is visceral manipulation. I am massively biased, but I also have tried so many other things, um, which we're going to talk about other therapies that work with fascia and how you can how you can release fascial restrictions. But visceral manipulation is the best thing that I've found, and that's why I'm dedicated to it. Um, you then after the diaphragm, you also have the internal thoracolumbar fascia, which is basically the fascia around all your organs and viscera. And then you have the meninges at the dip deepest layer. And that's the core anatomy that you work with in craniosacral therapy. And that's part of how craniosacral therapy fits in with all of this stuff. You're like, wow, if that just sounded like a jumble of words and you wish I didn't even talk about it and thought it was a waste of a few minutes of your life, at least just think about how many layers 
and I wasn't even specifically naming pieces of fascia other than maybe the diaphragm and the pericardium and the meninges. Okay, maybe I lied. But but a lot of the words I used just now were more systems of fascia and layers opposed to specific pieces or chunks of it someone might work with. So all of the structures of our body, all of them are suspended and bound and guided by these different layers and kind of cylinders and um, uh, I'm trying to think like fabric pieces of fascia, our bones, our muscles, our arteries, veins, nerves, lymphatic pathways, and organs. Everything is impacted by fascia. And then lastly, another big uh, function of fascia is to reduce friction of movement in body, in, in our bodies. And you can imagine how that's important. We need, to, when we move, we actually have a lot of gliding components going on. And that's what makes us feel like we have ease of movement. If we don't have ease of movement, we often say, I feel stiff, or I don't have flexibility. Um, and while sometimes and maybe often we think of that as directly muscular related or maybe a dysfunction with a bone or something, right? Maybe it's arthritis or something. A lot of times, especially if you've already tried to get muscles to release, you've tried stretching muscularly, you've tried um, getting your bones checked out, like why? A frozen shoulder, for example, being like a thing that I've dealt with with several clients who've come in. Oh, I've had frozen shoulder for 10 years, not after working with me because they have fascial restrictions that get released, right? Um, and so I want to, as an example of this gliding component that that fascia has, it's, it's slick, right? It has ground substance around it. Sometimes there's something called serous fluid between maybe one or two layers of, um, of fascia, and that creates a nice gliding movement between organs, so everything's nice and smooth and kind of like hard to grasp and slips through your fingers like soap. That's how a lot of your body should be in relation to other parts of your body. Um, but for example... Um, I've actually seen dissections of of bodies. Uh, one in particular really sticks out to me of of somebody who'd had a fascial restriction from their lung to their rib cage. Because your lung to your rib cage, you want a lot of motion, right? Because yeah, the lung and your rib cage, while they work together, they're two separate components. Um, and the thing that separates the lung and the rib cage is something called the lung pleura. It's a piece of fascia. Um, if you have a restriction in your lung pleura, it can adhese itself, literally creating a bridge that sh that otherwise would not be there, creating new tissue, new new tissue. It's fascinating, really interesting image that I can't show you due to um, it, somebody else owns it. But I want you to imagine if you have a lung and then you have your rib cage and then there's this bridge that's literally chaining that fascia or the lung down up to the rib cage, that person, if they were alive and tried to rotate their torso, would not be able to do so very easily. And so um, the longer that a fascial restriction exists, often the thicker it gets, it might reinforce itself, it might start to give um, actually blood um, circulation to that restriction, so it becomes more and more ingrained in the body. So it is important to deal with fascial restrictions when they're newer, younger, et cetera. And we're going to talk about how to even have an idea if you have a fascial restriction. But this person, um, and I've dealt with lung pleura restrictions with clients before. Of course, we're not dissecting them and looking at it, but you can feel it in the evaluation we do. Um, but you'll physically might be able to see it in symptoms such as they can't rotate their torso very well to the left or right. They have shoulder pain on both shoulders or maybe one of them. Um, hunched shoulders that they feel like they can't like open up no matter how much they stretch. Difficulty breathing or inhaling, maybe even to the point where exercise is hard or, or impossible, which was the case with one client of mine that I've had. Mid-back pain because of how the diaphragm attaches to the kind of T12, L1, L2 part of the back, which for many people we interpret as the mid part of our back. If you can't breathe because you have a restriction in your around your lung, 
right, um, then your diaphragm is having to work extra hard to pull on this part of the lung that's like, oh, I don't want to come with you, buddy. I've got this bridge over here from this stupid restriction. <laughs> um, neck pain, and then I even mentioned frozen shoulder. Because again, lung pleura needs to be mobile for us to be able to move our shoulders really well. It's part of kind of the rib cage, clavicular system, um, the lung there's pleural ligaments. There's literally ligaments that hold the lung pleura and attach it to the cervical spine. This is so anatomy detailed at this point. Um, and I'm only telling you guys this because I want you like just a little bit of fascination or a little bit of like mind blownness <laughs> going on as you think about, um, you're like, oh, fashion, I guess it's sort of important. It's massively important and it's fascinating. And then some GI problems that could come up with like even just a lung pleura restriction, acid reflux, difficulty swallowing food and pills. Those two are going to be the most common things because of how they impact the diaphragm and how the diaphragm uh, interacts with the esophagus and stomach. Uh, and then difficulty swallowing food and pills has to do with like the pressure system from the, from the thorax down to the abdomen. And if there, again, if there's a restriction in the lung, you're going to have around the lung pleura and the rib cage, it's going to really impact the pressure system of the thorax. And if you're this would be a great point to go back and listen to episode 46, the gut breath connection, because I do talk a lot about the pressure system from the thorax, your aka your rib cage to your abdomen, and how that pressure system can create symptoms that uh, are both GI and non-GI at the same time, and why visceral manipulation is so helpful and craniosacral therapy in resolving those things. Um, I have a couple fun facts here, which I think I've covered a bunch of them already for fascia, but it's estimated that there's more fascia in the body than any other tissue. Fascia experts estimate that fascia is the most painful tissue in the body, uh, pain, pain inducing tissue due to its high amount of nerve nerves, like kind of going through it as well as vascular systems going through it. So arteries and veins, we can get a lot of pain from impinged blood flow as well as, uh, nerves being stimulated by that. We often think again of mostly bones like, Oh, the bone is creating nerve pain. Well, fascia can create nerve pain too, or just nerve conduction problems. And so whenever you have just consider that when people have pain, if you get some type of diagnostic uh, scan, like an MRI, a CT scan, x-ray, they look at muscles and bones mainly. And fascia is much harder to see on these types of scans. And it's more likely that if, if you see something on one of these scans caused by fascia, it's the effect of the fascia but it, the fascia itself isn't obvious as the culprit. They might say, oh, we can tell that there's decreased blood flow in this area of the body, or oh, we can tell that this muscle isn't activating really well in your pelvis, but it might not be due to a bone impi bony impingement. It could be due to fascial restriction and impingement. And that's where fascia is going pretty much undiagnosed, undetected, and people are getting PT, uh, physical therapy, chiropractic care, surgeries, et cetera, to solve pain problems, to solve mobility problems, et cetera. And then they're not getting better. And it's because the, the practitioners they're working with aren't thinking about fascia or they're not addressing it at the levels or depths they need to. And I say that because um, there is something called myofascial release, which it has, it's, it's a fairly well-known method and modality um, for a body worker, whether it's a PT or massage therapist or whatever to use, but myofascial therapy is actually mainly considering and thinking about fascia around muscles. That's what myo means. So myo is referring to muscle. And as we just discussed, there's a lot more fascia going on other than just fascia around muscles. So some GI symptoms of fascial restrictions uh, not getting into anatomy, but just if you're like, do I have a fascial restriction? How would I know? Well, do you have bloating, constipation, acid reflux, and abdominal pain? One or multiple of those. 
honestly, the probably four most common things I'm seeing with fascial restrictions, that's GI symptom. Um, and again, really want to think about, um, I'm going to be having whole episodes coming out a little, going into more detail on the anatomy and honestly, even how you can evaluate like, oh, I have acid reflux. How would I know if fascia is a part of it or not. Um, I'm going to be talking about that on future episodes, but that's something I specifically look for and evaluate for when clients come in and they say, hey, I've got acid reflux and bloating and constipation. And I'm trying to think, well, how much of this is maybe functional lab testing needed? Like, do we need a test for H. pylori or pathogens, et cetera? Um, which you, if you're if you're new to the podcast, welcome. But I do talk in previous episodes on, for example, how to resolve acid reflux um, and 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 causes of it, other than like acidic foods, because we're designed to eat acidic foods, y'all. Um, <laughs> it's but but what we can't do is eat acidic foods with a restricted diaphragm or lung pleura or gastrophrenic ligament, um, and that's. This is this is basically that pantyhose that I was talking about gets twisted or pinched or malformed or tight around a specific organ or area and suddenly you're just it's just not working as well and that's where you're going to get those symptoms um that are GI related. I see people all the time um with fascial restrictions around their large intestine um and the large intestine is huge right it starts all the way down with your right hip bone at your cecum it goes all the way up to your right rib cage it then travels across your abdomen as your transverse colon attaches to your left rib cage it goes down to your left hip bone and then down into your pelvis terminating at what we would consider more or less the butthole right um and so that is a large distance to travel. And there's a lot of, the only thing that's holding that that colon up, like why does it, how does any of it kind of just be held up? It's like hammocked between the rib cage. And that's a lot of fascial connections, a lot of specific different fascial connections that can get damaged. We're going to talk a real quick um, here on causes of the most common causes of fascial restriction, but if it does get restricted in those areas, you're going to totally, your colon, your large intestine won't be able to contract and create peristalsis and move stool along, and you will have ongoing constipation symptoms, even if you do all the right things, drink water, take magnesium citrate, get rid of parasites, etc. Non-GI symptoms of fascial restrictions, so many. I have a very small list compared to what it could be, but some really common ones, headaches and migraines, back pain, SI joint pain, uh, pelvic pain, menstrual pain, difficulty breathing or difficulty exercising. This is honestly so many different types of pain, mobility problems like frozen shoulder, painful hips. Um, it's It's innumerable. I've worked with fascia around people's hearts and seen improvement in their heart palpitations or their POTS, which is um, related to uh, heart palpitate, not heart palpitations, excuse me, uh, tachycardia. So like uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome where someone's heart rate goes up really fast, sometimes for no reason at all, or just because of postural reasons. Um, So a lot of times there's restricted fascia and the heart can't function the way it needs to. So it just starts beating really, really fast or really irregularly. And if you release the fascia around the heart, then you're going to see massive improvement in heart function. Uh, So really cool thing there. So these are non-GI symptoms, but connected to things that you might be experiencing alongside like, oh, I'm also constipated and I have like POTS or I have heart palpitations or um, I also get headaches and migraines. Like they, they might not be connected. Headaches and migraines can be caused by a lot of stuff, honestly. But if you've never had your fascia checked out and you do have all these symptoms, I would highly recommend, again, mainly a visceral manipulation practitioner. So some causes of fascial restriction. Physical is huge. So anything physical, we're thinking falls, like off of a bike, off out of a tree, off of a swing. These I've seen clients who we can actually trail all of their symptoms back to one of these types of injuries. 
falling on their head. Former gymnasts, uh, that's something I've seen. I'm a former gymnast. I would say I'm actually fall into the specific category of falling on your head. Um, skateboarders fall on their heads or might like bonk their heads, um, falling on their tailbone, rock climbers, ice skaters, just anyone who's ever walked on ice and fallen on your tailbone, slipping down the stairs, falling on your tailbone, um, getting, having an injury from the side. So maybe you fall onto your side or someone slams into you from the side. My husband is a skateboarder and a snowboarder, and he has so many fascial restrictions in his torso. Uh, I, I'm positive it's from all the years of falling, uh, like while he's skateboarding and snowboarding. And my solution is like, just don't skateboard and snowboard. It's like, no, just get the appropriate health and body care so that you can function well. Um, and uh, so I've worked with one soccer player who is really who run, was run into a lot, right? So soccer players jostle each other. So it's not just like football. Um, and then I know of another practitioner who worked with a volleyball player who had all these symptoms come up after doing a dive on her belly. She was a beach volleyball player and she dove for a ball. She won the game, but she started having all this back pain and it was related to restrictions around her kidneys from slamming her, her abdomen into the ground. Um, and so these are, these are examples of just living life, how you can get fascial restrictions. Surgery is a physical cause of restrictions. So epidural cesareans, appendectomies, gallbladder removals, hysterectomies, ovary removals, back surgery. These are all surgeries that I've had clients get in their past. And then they work with me and we're able to trace and say that a lot of their symptoms got worse um, or started after a certain birth where they had an epidural or a certain, maybe after their appendectomy when they were 10 or 12 or 16, after their hysterectomy, right? And so while these surgeries can be life-saving and I'm not like, don't do these surgeries, Keep in mind that doctors are not very, they're more into sick care. Like, so if you're massively sick, they'll take care of you. But if you're just not optimally well, <laughs> they, they, they don't evaluate for fascia, right? So they, and they don't know how to treat it. They don't, they don't really acknowledge it. They know fascia exists, but it's kind of like, what do you want me to do, lady? Uh, if, if you think you have, if you know you had the, one of these surgeries or any other number of surgeries, um, which I've had plenty of clients had, you know, brain surgeries, surgeries within their chest, all of these things, you're cutting through fascia, you're leaving scar tissue, you are changing the pressure systems, you're potentially creating um, more densification of fascia, making it less mobile, and the appropriate um, re releases and treatments of this fascia can give them more flexibility again. Physical challenges such as marathons or giving birth can change fascia. Car accidents is one of the fastest. Um, cars, cars are one of the fastest things we get into regularly, right? And if you get into a car accident, even if you're still and someone bumps into you, that person was going 30 miles an hour in a very heavy vehicle. And I don't, no matter how heavy your vehicle is, they are putting all of that inertia into your car and that inertia gets into your body. And even, and as your body's being held by your seatbelt, you have even more organs and more structures that they have their seatbelts, which is, which is fascia and visceral ligaments right? And they get jostled. And so that energy, you know, we're familiar, if you're familiar with Einstein talking about energy is, is consistent. We don't lose, like there, we have the same amount of energy in, in a given scenario as what was brought into it, right? And so it, the energy disperses somewhere. And many times it disperses other places in our bodies. And even if you don't have a concussion or whiplash or something diagnosed or a broken bone, you can still have lots of, of uh, fascial damage. Because again, remember, fascia is a shock absorber. And so that fascia can get twisted and rotated and densified and, and have damage to it. Car accidents are huge. And any type of car accident, even the smallest thing, can really impact health. Um, 
Physical restraints also see a lot of correlation with this. And by that, I mean, I specifically was thinking about mouth restraints. So braces and expanders are extremely damaging to the fascia of the head. And while you want to have straight teeth, you also want to consider why did you have crooked teeth to begin with? Because the fascia wasn't open, because your mouth didn't develop the way that ideally would. This gets into a little bit more of another episode that we have on orofacial myofunctional therapy and how our mouths develop and why they're not developing well anymore as a, a society uh, in the Western society. Um, and so I'll put a link in the show notes for that orofacial myofunctional therapy episode if that does intrigue anyone, but any type of physical restraints can also really impact fascia. That can include casts and stuff. I don't see, I haven't really ever worked with a case where it was like, wow, after I got this cast for this broken bone, all my symptoms got started up. Uh, but I do see a lot of problems with, yeah, after I got braces or my expander or whatever, I started getting neck pain and TMJ and headaches and migraines and sinus problems and heart stuff and GI stuff, and it's all connected. Some other things that can damage, um, so we have the physical things that can damage fascia and cause restrictions. We have biochemical stuff, so infections. around. If you get a meningitis, that is a inflammation of the meninges, which is fascia around the brain. Uh, Gut-related fascial irritations, stomach flu, ulcers, lungs, if you have any type of uh, infection in the lungs. So COVID, pneumonia, bronchitis, all of that can cause fascial um, thickening. And you can, again, release those thickenings and restrictions through visceral manipulation. But you definitely um, get it with lungs. Uh, with kidneys, we have kidney stones or UTIs that have traveled up from the bladder to the ureter to the kidney. That can create a lot of um, restriction and thickening of fascia, bladder, UTIs, you know, just in the bladder, especially if a UTI is repeated, in the colon, having appendicitis or ulcers. These are different variety of infections in different places that will affect the fascia that's specific to that location. Um, and just general toxicity, so heavy metals, liver burden, systemic inflammation, leaky gut, food sensitivities, all of that can also cause uh, changes to the fascia. And then lastly, mental and emotional strains can impact fascia. And there's a, more research being done on this, and honestly, it could be its whole own episode. It's a fascinating thing, but a big basis to keep in mind when we're talking about the mental emotional component of fascia is number one, fascia is not controlled by your conscious brain. Muscles are controlled. Like if you say bicep, I want you to move, put my hand close to my ear. That is part of your somatic or your conscious part of your nervous system. But fascia is actually gets most of its data and, and, uh, communication from the nervous system from this parasympathetic, uh, system and our uh, subconscious nervous system. And so there's a lot more research going on here. If you read the, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, that's a really great piece of book of a psychiatrist who is studying the effects of the body storing emotions in it. And fascia is not the only thing that can do that. Muscles can do that. Organs can do that. Um, the book Molecules of Emotion by Dr. Candace Pert talks more about this, but this is definitely a component that sometimes mental and emotional trauma or experiences or chronic kind of things we've experienced throughout childhood or adolescence or adulthood can uh, can impact fascial behavior. And then treating fascia, how how can you you're like oh my gosh, what do I do? How do I how do I address this? So there's lots of methods available. I've already shared a little bit of my opinion on some things, but myofascial release does exist. Again, it's mostly for muscle-related problems. And so unless you are positive that it's muscle-related only, which is just so unlikely, I would say I highly recommend always going to a visceral manipulation practitioner first. Someone who can also do craniosacral therapy is going to be great. Um, chiropractic care can be supportive. Surgery 
can be supportive. I'm thinking in cases of like endometriosis or massive thickening of a fascia, um, pathologically often. I, I would say, so I actually see more clients who are avoiding surgery by seeing me or avoiding, honestly, the outcome. Like they got surgery for like partial removal of their bowel and the doctor saying, oh, we might have to do another one because there's scarring. And I've actually had clients avoid getting a second or third surgery, whether also had a client avoid back surgery because of us working with her fascia and actually creating that mobility that wasn't there without needing surgery. But these are things that might be offered to you if um, whether or not the person you're talking to knows it's fascia related, um, you might be getting symptoms that en- end up putting you into a chiropractor's office or a PT's office or getting surgery. And then stretching can actually help. But again, you have to stretch in a very specific way um, because most stretches are created with the intention of affecting muscles. And you have to stretch a little differently because muscles respond to different stimuli than fascia does. And that has to do with how fascia works and mechanoreceptors and all this stuff that we actually still haven't gotten into because this is not a, um, <laughs> this is not a college credit course for fascia. <laughs> but it, I do want you guys to understand it a little bit better so you understand how it can impact the gut. Um, what I would say is that uh, there's no one practitioner you can go to to get really good fascial work done or even visceral manipulation work done. Um, As in visceral manipulation is a continuing education. It's additional education that any body worker can get. So a massage therapist can get it. A chiropractor can get it. PTs can get it. um, OTs can get it. Uh, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing stuff. Nurses, anybody who has what's called a license to touch. And so what I would recommend instead of saying, I'm just going to go to a chiropractor, a massage therapist, or someone who says they do visceral manipulation, go to betterbellytherapies.com slash find. And I have an entire resource on how to find a uh, visceral manipulation practitioner near you. If you live in the Detroit area, my office has recently moved to more of the Detroit area um, of Michigan opposed to Ann Arbor. I would love to see you when I'm back from my maternity leave. Um, And so you can book an appointment on our calendar and we'll leave a link in there to book if you want to come see me. I've had clients see me from across the state in Michigan, from Ohio, um, and it's really phenomenal to work with people. I'm happy to work with you wherever you are coming from, Um, but find a visceral manipulation practitioner, somebody who's got multiple levels of training, and I talk about that in that easy-to-use resource at betterbellytherapies.com slash find, and you can find a practitioner, a good one, near you through that resource. So... That is a little bit on fascia and the science behind it. I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, if you have like, what's going on or you didn't answer this very well, I'd love to hear more on XYZ thing. I have a new resource uh, that where you can actually send me a question with your actual voice on my website. Just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash askallison. And this is me, ask Allison, no spaces, no dashes or anything. And you will be taken to a little page where you can just submit an audio recording. You know, you can be anonymous or you can leave your name and I can answer that question. I am anticipating and wanting to be able to do these Ask Allison episodes every month or every other month. So please send your question along. I will be answering them in the order that I get them and you might get featured on this podcast. And again, I would love to be interacting with y'all as we have these episodes come out because I know fascia is new to the, it's not commonly talked about, honestly, with gut health stuff. And so if there's something that I didn't explain really well, if there's something you wanted to hear more about, Uh, maybe it's this episode or a future episode, I would love to have an insight in how I can best serve y'all and make this a conversation and uh, hopefully not me just talking at you guys. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode. I hope that you got to hear something new and helpful and insightful about your bodies because 
bellies can be healed, y'all. We do not need to be stuck with constipation, acid reflux, tons of food restrictions, things that don't work. That by no means is what has to be the case. So if you are loved this episode, if you're new to the podcast, if you've been checking us out, I would highly encourage you to subscribe on whatever you're listening to so that you do not miss a single episode. We have so much more coming down the line, especially when it comes to fascia. And so if you want to hear more about how to help help really heal your body of acid reflux, constipation, bloating, gas, diarrhea, all the stuff you will not want to miss a single episode. Also, if you thought of a friend as you were listening, maybe someone who's been in a car accident, had some things happen to them, maybe fits the bill with needing their fascia supported, I would highly recommend just take a screenshot and text it to that friend and basically say, hey, I thought about you. This is, I hope, helpful and encouraging to you today. So send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. We have a quick link to our Apple iTunes. You could just leave a rating and review there and it means so much and helps other people just like you find this podcast. Other ways you can stay in the conversation with us is by following us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I am taking a break on it right now due to my approaching maternity leave, but I love interacting with you guys there and we are going to be having more content showing up in the future months once I return with my new baby in tow. Uh, Other than that, I'm so excited that you were able to join us today and I hope that today was encouraging and inspiring and that you have a great rest of your week. I cannot wait to see you guys on our next episode next week. Catch you later.